Hey everyone, it's lovely to meet your ears. <laughs> Welcome to the first ever episode of Culturally Buzzed. Culturally Buzzed. I still don't really know how to say cult, 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 culture. <laughs> I sound like the the beginning song of the Kimmy Unbreakable. <laughs> Please do not sue me. I have um <clears throat> probably shouldn't say the title of the show. I have no money. Please don't sue me, Kimmy. I, I think you're cool. Anyway, <laughs> this is a podcast where we talk about anything and every everything culture in relation to health. Today's topic of choice is really important to me, and I am really grateful to share this with you. So here are some hints. Number one, da -da 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 -da. it's about something you use every day, even in your sleep. Number two. It's one of the most important things about you that you probably take for granted on a daily basis. A little bit of shade there, but it's all right. <laughs> and then three, it weighs about three pounds. Stay tuned because we are going to talk about the daily health behaviors that influence this specific part of your body. And I'm going to introduce some habits if, to take into consideration if you would like to make a change. So sit back, relax, grab some snacks. <laughs> it's going to be a great episode. Cheers. All right, so I am beyond happy that you are here. I know you can't see me, but my arms are out to my sides. My chin is lifted to the sky. Okay, not really, but I am imagining this positive light around me because I'm just really excited to bring you the first ever episode of Culturally Buzzed. So my name is Sarah. <laughs> Today we're gonna talk about the health behavior and habits we all exhibit when it comes to our brain. Health behavior is a term used more often in the healthcare industry instead of the medical field just refers to actions that you take in order to influence your health. So health in this case doesn't mean good or bad, it just means a state of being. Smoking is a health behavior just as much as exercising. So taking care of your brain is important and it is almost like it's hard to like understand that it's there because we don't see it. It's this lovely organ in your head. Sometimes it hurts, sometimes it doesn't. And if you think there's something wrong with it, you gotta consult a specialist. So I think it's really easy, beyond a doubt, to get into habitual behavior or certain practices that constantly influence our brain for the worse or for the better. And sometimes we aren't really forced to make a change in our diet or exercise routine until it's way too late. So you can't necessarily see the damage to your brain, but you just kind of feel it. it. It's things like fatigue, not being able to pay attention during meetings or lectures, forgetting your sentence in the middle of a conversation, which no why I'm probably gonna do <laughs> walking into a room and not remembering why you made the trip over there in the first place all of these are just all of these are just small indicators about the health of your brain and I also know as we get older we tend to have slower memory recall so even though people will blame it on their age not being able to remember like conversations jokes family events those types of things can really really lead to heavy sadness and questions about self-identity so I'd like to take a moment and say your brain is definitely worth it. Very literally, a healthy brain is a happy brain, and that leads to a happier you. The main behavior to address today is stimulates or stimulants, sorry, <laughs> or even um, having too much of a stimulating environment and being somebody who continuously answers to those stimulating Things like your phone going off or 
you know, all these emails pinging when they come in, just in general, the idea of having a cluttered schedule and it almost kind of feels like you're constantly just trying to put out the fires. That's what we're going to deal with today. So let me paint a picture for you. I think this is how most people's schedules are when they're like in their mid-20s to like early 30s. You know, when you're like constantly scrapping for life. Okay, you ready? Okay. You wake up to an obnoxious alarm. And none of that classical resurrection to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony in C minor. None of that lo-fi feel-good music. It has to be something obnoxious and loud. Like so loud your neighbors should probably know when you're supposed to be up. So you turn off the alarm, you turn over in your bed, and you give it a couple more minutes. And then suddenly, 30 minutes later, you are officially running late. So you throw the covers off, you jump out of bed, and then you get to the bathroom and brush your, brushing your teeth, among other things, and then you get ready. And then before you head out the door, you get a craving you are all too familiar with. Coffee. Lovely, smelling so great, so warm, or cold, or cold in your hands. Coffee. Uh, either you grab coffee from your house or you go to the nearest drive through and wait in line to get your favorite drink. And the first sip is amazing. It's just amazing. You could burn your tongue a thousand times for eternity and it will still be worth it. And then you're ready, just completely primed to face the morning rush hour traffic. Yeah, that's right. You're ready, all amped up with your coffee to get cut off or to do the cutting off. I'm not judging. <laughs> so you get to work exactly at the same time that you wanted to and you sit at your desk and you finish your last sip of coffee, you throw that cup away and you're ready to check your emails. One email, two, three, four emails in. You are already making a list of stuff to do for the day. But before you start, you check your social media. And then you kind of see how much the world is changing around you and you just feel so overwhelmed because social media was supposed to be a distraction from your already overwhelming email schedule. Anyway, <laughs> so you want another distraction before you go to work and you go to the break room and you see that there's donuts and some more coffee and you grab your favorite donut, you get some more coffee and get back to your desk and then noon hits and it's brunch time because those two cups of coffee really jump-started your metabolism. It's time for a snack. So you pull out your lunch, you microwave it. It's lukewarm, but it'll have to do and you eat. And you check back into the break room and you see the vending machine has banana nut muffins. And it's looking like a banana nut muffin sort of day. <laughs> so you get back to your desk after eating your muffin. You are ready for the next three hours. And then like an hour and a half, two hours later, you're ready for a nap. Because let's face it, it's been exhausting. But you can't sleep on the job. So you grab some sugary cookies or some more coffee. And then clocking out, you're exhausted, but you're ready for another run on the track. That's right. Afternoon rush hour traffic is well into play, and you get home just as expected two hours later, right? <laughs> then you rush to make dinner, and then you're ready for bed. And since you need to unwind, you maybe check some Netflix. You watch two episodes of Vikings, and you're honestly ready to sleep. 45 minutes after that, you're still scrolling through social media. Then a funny video pops up and you're LOLing so hard in the comment section. You scroll for another 20 minutes and you realize it's almost 11.30 p.m. So you plug your phone into the charger, you get under the covers, and you lie awake for another 30 minutes before you get some sleep. Was I right? Was that too much? I kind of feel like I was reaching for some laughs there, but I hope you guys get my point. 
<laughs> it was exhausting just even imagining that and the studies have found that too much stimulation for a long time can really influence your brain health. Years, months, weeks of this type of behavior leads to exhaustion, and I'm sure you've heard of the term burnout. So chasing all this stimulation leads to a fluctuation in dopamine levels in the brain, and dopamine is responsible for learning, wakefulness, mood, motivation. It's that rush you get when you have too much coffee or too much of any of that stimulating drink like rock stars, Red Bulls, energy drinks in general. And it's also that rush you get when you feel a sad post, when you see a sad post on social media. And these fluctuations are also in timing with what stresses you out throughout the day as well. And just like when you hear an obnoxious alarm and your first instinct is to turn it off and go back to a state of away from stress, your actions can feel very natural. Sometimes it's very clear that eating and drinking food that we have found to change our behavior could be a distraction away from stress. And when you are dealing with high levels of stress, you've also got like elevated levels of adrenaline, higher blood pressure, cortisol increases your blood sugar, and then that leads your body to crashing even a little bit later. So hence going back for all the sugary snacks and coffee. So seeking out stimulation for seven days a week for weeks to months puts your body in a state of stress. And stress for a short period of time can increase learning, but for long periods of time, it has a shrinking effect on the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is the area responsible for memory and learning. It's like literally your best friend if you are trying to be happy. <laughs> because our brains can adapt to this, it can also result in an increase in amygdala. So the size of the amygdala could actually increase. And then this makes your brain more receptive to stress. And that means your behavior will follow suit. So... Your brain is beautiful. It's the most amusing communication center I've ever gotten a chance to study. And it can change based on the environment you put yourself in. So having health habits that increase your brain's need to adjust to stress with a constant demand to produce more dopamine will not lead you to happiness. In fact, it will lead you to having less memory recall, mental fog, deep sadness, spacing out in the middle of a conversation even, or maybe spacing out in the middle of this podcast. I see you. I see you. <laughs> so here are some tips. Here are some habits to help you regulate dopamine levels and reduce stress response. That's the main takeaway from all of this. This might not, what I'm saying next might not apply to every single person that's listening, but as long as you understand that the key to all of this is to reduce your stress levels and reduce your stress responses, and regulate your dopamine levels so your brain can get back to being healthy. All right, so first one is quit sabotaging your normal circadian rhythm. Uh, circadian rhythms are like my favorite thing to talk about because I was just so fascinated with why and how our brains tell our body it's time for sleep or it's time to get up. And if you're not familiar with it, it's literally just your body's physical, mental, and behavioral changes that follow a daily cycle. It also responds to light and dark environments. It's the reason why most of us sleep at night and are awake throughout the morning. And it's purely, it was honestly just an endogenous process until modern times required us to work at least 30 hours a week. So this meant that our body's natural process to regulate its own inner behavior was influenced by the external environment as well as the internal environment. So what throws off your circadian rhythm? I thought you would never ask. That's why I'm here. <laughs> there are three types of disorders. Now, I'm just a side note here. 
um, you need a degree to diagnose yourself. I'm just bringing these, these, these disorders casually up so that we can decide whether or not your sleep patterns fit one of these disorders. Not that you have a disorder, but that your sleep pattern, if your sleep pattern sounds familiar, you can start to understand how to mediate and facilitate a better circadian rhythm. So here we go. The first type of, I guess the first type we're going to take into consideration is just called the jet lag type. So according to the Merck manual, traveling across time zones can cause a delay in your sleep. Traveling eastward causes more severe symptoms than westward travel. And the biggest takeaway from this is even if you are traveling to another part of the state, moving out of one environment to another means that your body has to adjust. Yeah, literally your body every single day when you commute to work and back, your body has to adjust to that travel time. So after arriving to a new area, you have to make sure to get some sunlight, especially if you're traveling in the morning. This will promote your body to make serotonin and more vitamin D, and that will definitely help improve your brain's cognitive function. Even communicating to work and from work can throw off your circadian pattern, so hopefully you can make some time to stand in the sunlight once you are done traveling to work in the morning. Of course, if you travel further, if you are somebody who has to constantly like be on a plane because you're really important, <laughs> there's no shame in that, um, please make sure, please, please make sure that when it is time to sleep, that there is no light around you. And when it's time to be up, that you give yourself that time to adjust to the light. I know it's easier said than done, but I think the next, the next type of disorder we're going to talk about should probably help kind of correlate with how to work with a work schedule when you're constantly traveling and how to get your circadian rhythm back into focus. So the second type of shift work type. Uh, the frequency of the shift changes, the magnitude of each change, like the number of consecutive nights worked, the length of the shifts, the frequency of the counterclockwise sleep changes and that influence your body. It's just, it. I know this sounds like a lot. And I know that some people aren't able to change their work schedules and I totally understand. This just means that you need to facilitate your body's circadian rhythm differently to improve the health of your brain. So make sure that when it is time for bed, you are not around any light interference. Especially if you work in an environment where superficial light rather than natural light is used. Like if you're on a movie set, for example, or more than anything, if you're constantly in a building that has fluorescent lighting. Kind of, it's like those like fluorescent lightings that we had when we were in like classrooms for eight hours a day. Those actually really, really influence the body a lot. Um, and so you need to make sure that you counteract the eight plus hours you come into contact with light like that by allowing your body to unwind away from stimulation so you really really make sure that when it is time to go to sleep or when you when maybe even like an hour or two before you go to sleep you have to be away from light and i'm talking about light from your electronics light from outside if you work the night shift like you have to make sure that there's really really little light or no light at all so your body can adjust and release those really good hormones to start to let you calm down and relax and then go to sleep. So the last is altered sleep phase. Uh, people with, there's, and there's a couple of different types of altered sleep phase. So there's one that's called delayed sleep phase syndrome. So you go to sleep late and you wake up late. And that means that you can't go to sleep early even if you tried. And a good way to keep track of this, so your brain can definitely benefit from like uninterrupted sleep, is bright light therapy waking and waking up early. 
Um, there are alarm, alarm clocks out there. I don't know if you know about this, but they mimic sunlight a few minutes before you have to rise. This will help your body create those feel-good hormones that help you wake up. Uh, advanced sleep phase syndrome means that you sleep early and wake up early. So unless you're elderly, this just requires more sunlight throughout the day and little to no light interference at night. And I can attest to this because this is what I have like half of the year though. In the wintertime because of the time change and the amount of sunlight that we get, because I, I live in California, so the amount of sunlight that we get in the wintertime is like just the perfect amount. So as soon as the sun goes down, my I'm... I'm ready for bed. Like, I'm literally... 6.30, 7 o'clock, like, you know, you don't even have to ask me twice. I'm ready for bed. Like, I'm there already with my pillows. Ready. Just, like, want... I just want to snooze. So, but anyway, as you can tell, I, I'm a real sleep nerd sometimes. But in the summertime, in the springtime, however, we get, like, t more than 12 hours of sunlight throughout the day. And that really wires me up to a point where I can sleep early but then I wake up early too so let's say for example um last week actually I went to sleep at like nine which actually isn't early for me that's actually pretty late but I went to sleep at nine and I woke up at eleven thirty. I didn't even make it past midnight <laughs> so I tried something really cool on my 10 minute breaks I went and I went outside of the store and I stood in the sun for about five minutes and I came back inside and I kid you not, like getting sunlight earlier in the day helped my body realize, hey, we've been by like eight or nine o'clock. Hey, we've been up for a really long time. I think it's time to get some rest. And I slept really well that night. And all I had to do was just, you know, and I've been struggling this for years. I've been struggling with this for four years. Like I can't even, I just thought there was something weird happening with me. But really, I was just, I just wasn't getting enough sunlight earlier enough in the day to indicate to my body, hey, this is the time that it is right now. And it, I know it's so weird, but your body is really intuitive. It's actually more intuitive than uh, you give it credit for. Like, what happens with your brain and your central nervous system is, is simultaneously, like, connected to every part of your body. And so when your skin feels sunlight, your brain registers that it's noon or 11 a.m., and when you feel darkness, like when there's an absence of sunlight, your body says, yeah, okay, so it's nighttime and we need to slow down. And so I just, when I learned this stuff, I just thought it was really cool. Yes, I get it. Again, I'm a geek. <laughs> we can, we'll talk about this later. But okay, so the last one, I digress. Let's get back to the business. The last one is non-24-hour sleep-wake syndrome. So uh, some people's circadian rhythm is not 24 hours. That just means their sleep cycles, sleep and wake cycles are just more frequent within a span of 24 hours. This disorder is common with people who experience blindness because just seeing sunlight can actually help your brain reset. Um, this does require medication and working closely with a health professional. However, honestly, it's not a bad thing. It really isn't. It's just It just requires um, different regulation and like, how much sunlight you get or even so like regulation like maybe possibly you just need to take some sort of medicine and it would probably be just like one pill a day but anyway so this brings me to one of my favorite things to talk about um diet <laughs> I don't really know how to bring this up because it's always just a little bit awkward to mention it around others but diet 
we need to talk about diet. So getting the right amount of like stimulating energy drinks and coffee and sugar, that's really, really important because obviously I'm sure you've noticed, especially when little kids have access to too much sugar and they're running around for like four hours and then the fifth hour hits and they've just crashed and they're sleeping it off. And the same thing really happens to you as well. But the fact of the matter is we don't have the excuse of being kids anymore. You know, we have things to do. We have places to be. We have things to like pick up and drop off. Like it, the, the, the list. The, okay. Being an adult is like an endless list of chores. I get it. I totally understand. But the fact of the matter is you can burn yourself out longer if you keep putting yourself in a stressful situation alongside all these stimulating things that are supposed to power you through. So I'm not telling you to quit coffee. I'm not telling you to quit sugar. I'm just telling you to stop abusing it. Like 100% just stop abusing it. (laughs) 400 milligrams of coffee per day leads to bad effects to the brain and the body in the long run. And this is something that I'm kind of, um, this is something that I've noticed in myself when I had two jobs and I needed to be at one job at 4 a.m. and then I needed to be at the other job by 6 p.m. that night. I remember that coffee was like my best friend, but a month into it, I started to have all these really bad headaches. I wasn't paying attention very easily. I was very agitated. Like My behavior followed suit with the health of my brain at that point because I had been giving it too much stimulants on top of not getting enough sleep, on top of not not eating right and so it just it was like the trifecta of killing me softly that's that's really it and so I think for me I I noticed and I'm just kind of like a person of average health so when I had like two three cups of coffee a day that was bad for me it just didn't work so if you drink coffee every single day you have no intention of quitting please 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 don't take more than two cups it's 200 milligrams should be your cutoff point that means two cups per day, eight ounces each. Yeah, that's the catch. Eight ounces each. Um, if you absolutely feel the need to drink more because you are tired, stick to water. This will help you regulate your sleep cycle. And then along lo- alongside of that, you should really limit your sugar intake. But also, if you do this, you won't be alone. Like 77% of Americans are, it turns out, are really really trying to have less sugar in their diet seven out of ten consumers are also willing to trade in their sugary snacks for healthier alternatives and the american hospital association recommends 36 grams of sugar for males 25 grams of sugar for females per day and the difference between males and females i've always wondered this and i finally got to the answer it's just that the females and males metabolize sugar differently Um, even though our anatomy is kind of equal it takes uh, females a little bit longer to metabolize sugar, which means that we actually need less sugar. So that's also something that to take into consideration that if you are a female, less sugar is actually better for you because you are you have the ability to, it takes a lot longer to metabolize it, but also you get the benefits for a, a long time too. Um, and I think, Limiting the sugar intake is totally worth it. I think this puts you at less of risk for cardiovascular disease. It also puts you at less of a risk for diabetes. And ultimately, what does that mean? A great brain. Seriously, you guessed it, a great brain. (laughs) So number two is I recommend that you get the amount of uninterrupted seven hours of sleep. 
because elevated dopamine levels can keep you awake, reducing the amount of access to screens, to other electronic devices, an hour and a half before bed is best advised. The only reason I'm saying an hour and a half where you'll hear it from other places, it's just an hour, is that it does take you that extra half hour to unwind. Even if you spend an hour away from, you know, phone calls, from emails, from, it's, I've found that in today's world, because there's so many things happening around us, that an hour is not enough. At least an hour and a half should help you wind down enough so that you're ready for bed. And then number three is less social media. Yeah, this is also a really big one too. So the World Health Organization estimates that with an average lifespan of 72 and social media access at the age of 10, holy hell, that is really young, we spend a total of 3,462,390 minutes of social media time in our lifetime. Yup, that is six years and eight months. Quick math on you. Thank you. That, that was really cool. So according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, people will spend more time on social media throughout their life than doing homework, socializing, in-person, shopping, and eating and drinking. So how does this work for your brain? That is six years and eight months of added stress, unless you start to do something different. So avoid checking social media in places where your stress level is already high. For example, at work, during meetings, or when you are trying to relax. Social media is a great tool to fill up your free time, but should not be used as a distraction from stress. Most often, you will find that it causes you to pay attention less to your personal goals and therefore increase the likelihood of stress due to the time you have lost concerning yourself with it. So try checking your social media at specific times throughout the day and only when you are not in the middle of a project or a task. I can't tell you guys how much this increased my happiness and also helped my brain function very well in times where I needed to concentrate because I wasn't constantly going from my phone to my computer to writing stuff down to go looking back at my phone to my computer to maybe reading an email to you know all like it literally cut all of that in between trap like it it cut the mental travel and it was huge for me because then I started to realize that if I wanted to get all these things done it was really honestly better for me to not use social media as a distraction. And I had to always constantly tell myself, hey, like, don't check your phone right now. I know that you're free to and you don't have to if you don't want to, but just don't check your phone right now. Let's wait for a better time. And this also helped me out a whole lot when things, when there was like a lot of political strife. And I say was as if like we're not living through it already. It, there's still a lot of stuff happening. And what I did was every time I would go on a specific certain me social media, I'm not going to say which one, things have to be anonymous these days. Um, for the first three, for if the first three posts were upsetting, I wouldn't go on that social media account for the rest of the day. I know it's so strange, but it actually really helped me understand how to step away from something that was stressing me out. And it also made me realize that it, it was stressing me out. You know, I think that it's just so easy to go scroll through things, you get a really bad post, and then a funny post, and then maybe another funny post, and then there's this startling post, and then there's another funny post. And it's just this insane uh, up and down kind of mental roller coaster. 
and I needed to just stop traveling 300 miles an hour and be present and it really helped my brain it really did because I didn't after that I didn't have that mental fog I didn't um, have those distracting conversations with people I didn't make small talk it was just being more present and in the moment because I stepped away from my phone so it's a really big deal but also like stepping away from your phone and causing your brain to like process less stimulation was the best part because again like a lot of your hormones are produced in your brain a lot of them and by a lot I really only mean 10% I'm not exaggerating but 10% is a really huge deal in order to understand your happiness so if you get that under control a little bit that should really help your brain out and that will help you all right to my last one I know I've been talking forever uh, number four, make time to do nothing. Actually, that was a really good segue. Make time to help your brain process less stimulation. And so set aside some time throughout your week. I find that 20 minutes of meditation every day helps. But I also I understand. If meditation is not for you, I totally understand. Just do yourself a favor. Take 20 minutes, three days a week, to just zone out. Just zone out. Just sit in your room without any, or sit and whatever. Close the door. Make sure that nobody's around. Make sure that you don't have your phone on you, you don't have your computer on, just 20 minutes of zoning out. I can guarantee you, it will really, really help you. All right, so thank you so much for staying with me until the end. I am so happy and so grateful that we got through this episode of Culturally Buzzed. My name is Sarah, and remember, your brain is worth it. I'm going to say it again, your brain is worth it. Your brain is worth it. And in case you doubted me, let me say it one more time. Your brain is worth it. So please pick one of these habits and try it out. You don't have to even try it out for long. And if you do, I just can't wait. I cannot wait for you to have less stressful schedules. I cannot wait for your brain to be solid. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much. I'll talk to you again, hopefully next Sunday.